Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 4th, 2023, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Eternal Perspective, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. We should love the law. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. All day long I meditate on it. For it is the standard that reminds me of my need of the person of Jesus Christ. Your holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus is the way to your holiness. It is only through Christ that we can stand before him holy and blameless. His works, his righteousness satisfied the wrath that was due unto us. If we would only believe and put our faith in him and let that faith be seen. The question that we need to walk away with every single day, am I following the law or am I following Jesus Christ? Before we get to our text, let me set it up for you this way. And maybe for a lot of you dudes in the room, uh, go back to when you were in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. You're in elementary school. This happens at every elementary school across this nation every single school day. Between 10.15 and 11.30, somewhere in that time frame, the lunch bell rings. And young men all across the nation will rush into the lunchroom. They will consume whatever they have to eat, whether it's purchased or packed by their mom, as fast as humanly possible so they can get out to what is really important, the most important part of the day, and that is recess. And these young men will eat this food. They will rush out to the field, and it's either basketball, football, or kickball. Everything else, you can have it. But those three sports, here they are, and they would line up on a line. And two great champions of your class would make their way out to the center of the court. They are going to be the captains choosing the teams for the day. And they're going to look at this hodgepodge mess of other individuals lined up on this line, all with hopeful intent, please pick me for the great battle that is about to ensue. And these captains had an important job. They had to choose their team. Would they pick their friends because they just wanted to play with their buddies? Would they pick those that they thought they could win with? Would they just want to have a good time? It didn't matter what their captain was singing, but he was choosing with a specific purpose in mind. And all of us lined up there. Please pick me. You're playing basketball, and you look down the line, and there's 32 boys on the line. How many people playing basketball? 10. That means 22 of us are making the walk of shame over to the uh, girls' play tag in the playground area, right? But one by one, these captains would call the names out, and they'd choose their team, and these men they were going to go to battle with for the next however long. And you'd usually play for like six minutes, and then you would argue about who cheated for the next 20, and then you would do it all over again the next day. But every day, what team you were on, was your name called, would you be chosen, was important. Captains would choose based on the traits they wanted to play with. Jesus is going to find himself in a similar stage. The line has been drawn. The Pharisees have just become very angry at Jesus. The tide has turned. The religious tide has turned and where we were at in our story, and now they are out to get him. And so Jesus goes up on a hill, and he prays, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me discernment? Because I'm going to choose my team. 
And he's going to call the names of 12 men, 12 ordinary dudes, men that should not have been. If we were picking a team for how to plant a church, we wouldn't have chosen these guys. I mean, just political, they call him a zealot, political zealot, sold out to, to, to being everything political. You got a tax collector. You guys understand, like in the Bible, they go, there's sinners and then there's tax collectors. They get their own special category of, of, of disgustingness in, 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 the, in the Jewish culture. God's going to choose a tax collector. Some blue collar fishermen, guys that, that cuss like sailors. And Jesus goes, your guys are going to come follow me. So Jesus is going to choose his team. And then he's going to gather them together. He's going to say, man, we're going to change the world. We're going to absolutely change the world. But if we're going to change the world, we've got to live different than the rest of the world. And he's going to spell out for us really some really hard-hitting truths today for us to wrestle with. And my prayer has been, will continue to be, that the Holy Spirit would be at work in our heart and that we would hold each of these up to light and go, all right, God, what is it? What is it for me that you're trying to call out? What is it for me I need to put to death as we sang that song, God, what is it for me that you need to take everything from me so that I can gain more of you? What is it? Well, I got something. So Jesus is going to call these guys out, and he's going to look them in the eye and say, from now on, we're going to live life different. You remember what he said to Peter a couple of weeks ago? Peter catches all these fish. He's like, we did it. What does Jesus say? Oh, I don't know, Peter. Put your nets away. From now on, you're not going to catch fish. You're going to catch men. We're going to live life different with a different purpose in mind. And so that's the question. Before we even lean into our time in the word, the question we all got to wrestle with, the question we all got to ask is this. Uh, what's your purpose? What are you living for? Are we living for now or are we living for eternity? Are we living to please ourselves now? Are we living to gain as much as we can now? Are we living to seek as much pleasure and joy out of the here and now? Or do we have our eyes fixed on Jesus and do we find ourselves at all thinking about, God, what's going to matter 100 years from now? I want to live with that purpose in mind. Because to me, that's the charge he's going to give to his disciples. Man, we're going to live different. We're going to pursue different. And man, you need to understand that 100 years from now, everything that you have here is going to be left behind or burned up, but eternity awaits. Can we live with that in mind? That's the challenge he's going to lay down for us today. And so that's what we got to wrestle with. What are we living for? What's our purpose? Why do we do what we do? So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time in the word here. God, thank you so much. God, I will thank you again. I thank you for the four young men and women that gave their life to you this last week at junior high camp. And God, I pray that there would be many more this week at high school camp. God, that you would anoint Jeff, that you would speak through him in the power of your Holy Spirit to present your gospel in a way that would grab the hearts of these young men and women. God, I pray for our junior high staff and volunteers, God, that they would have wisdom and discernment to know how to come alongside these young men and women that have forever had their eternities changed. God, I pray you would raise up more men and women to come alongside, certainly this next generation, as we love and care for them. God, in this place this morning, I pray that you would be at work in our lives, in our spirit, in our heart, God, that your Holy Spirit would move. God, you would give us courage and conviction to lean into anything that you're putting on our hearts. God, if we need to leave anything in this room today in our flesh, that we would leave it here and that we would walk out of here in a newness of life because you are at work. And so, God, start with me. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. God, just be at work. We'll thank you in advance for everything you choose to do. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right, Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Here's where it starts. It says, in these days, these days again being Jesus has ticked off the Pharisees. Now they're out to get him. Now their whole goal is how do we put an end to this guy? So the temperature has been turned up, and it's in these days that he went out to the mountain to pray. He leaves the crowds, and he goes and wanders up on a hill, and he's going to spend all night in prayer. All night long, he continued to pray to God. Certainly praying, God, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. I'm going to choose the men that I'm going to run with for the next three and a half years of my life and then hand everything over to to continue to preach this gospel message. God, give me wisdom, discernment, courage to choose the men you have called. And when day came, he called his disciples. And he chose from them 12. So let me set this up here. You're going to hear... There is a mass of people that would call themselves disciples of Jesus. How many? We're not sure. More than 12. But a group of people that would call themselves disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus comes down off of the hill after praying all night, and here they are. This is back to our our, our playground scene. They all kind of line up in a big group, waiting to hear their master call their name. And one by one, Jesus is going to begin to call out the names of these men, these men that would change the world. These men, whether you realize it or not, if you are a son or a daughter of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is a direct result of one of these men going out and sharing Jesus with the world. It's a nerdy thing I think about, but I go, man, when I get to heaven someday, what, what family tree line did I come off of? Which disciple shared Jesus with somebody that shared Jesus, that shared Jesus, that shared Jesus, that all the way got down to me? I'm probably Bartholomew, because I don't know anything about the guy. That's probably just the one I get. I don't know. But these men were faithful with the word of God, and we are now here today because of their faithfulness. And so here are the names of the guys Jesus calls out. Nothing special about them, just a bunch of dudes. But they are about to change the world because they're going to live life a little different. He chose from all his disciples 12, who he named apostles. And here's their names. Simon, who he named Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who he called, who was called the zealot and Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. There's your list of 12, 12 men that changed the world. Now, real quick, because I did have somebody ask me later earlier this week, for all of you nerds like me that want to put them up. Matthew and Mark have one name that's different. It's Judas, the son of James in Luke's gospel. Matthew and Mark have it as Thaddeus. Same guy, different name. They had Greek names, they had Hebrew names. My guess, I'll stand way over here because this is just my opinion. My opinion is this. Judas, the son of James, when Mark and Matthew were writing their gospel, he might have found them and said, hey, would you put me by my Greek name in your Bible? Because Judas kind of has a negative connotation around it these days, right? This is every young German boy in 1945 plus telling his dad, dad, can we call me by my middle name? Because Adolf is a little rough right now in our world. So there's no discrepancy in the word of God. Before you want to go, oh, that? no. Greek name, Hebrew name. He goes by his, his Greek name in Matthew and Mark. But these are the 12 men, 
12 men that will forever change the face of the world. And Jesus calls them out of this great crowd, and out they come, walking forward. Verse 17. And he came down with them, who came down with the 12. And he stood on a level place. Now, again, real quick, just to delineate here, this is about, he's about to go into what commentators call the Sermon on the Plain. I believe very different than the Sermon on the Mount. I think the Holy Spirit was very clear. The Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus walks up onto a mountain and he sits down to teach his disciples. Here, Luke seems to be saying he came down off of a mountain, stands on a level place, and he stands up and teaches his disciples. So I think it's two different sermons with very similar things, but we got to be careful that we don't go, oh, blessed are the poor. That's the same thing as blessed are the poor in spirit in Matthew chapter 5. Eh, let's be careful to stay with what Scripture says in front of us today before we jump to the next one. And so he comes down to this level place, and this great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, they all come out to hear him and and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Verse 19, and all the crowd sought to touch him For power came out of him, and he healed them all. Here again, Luke tells us Jesus heals them all. Why? Because Jesus realizes you've got a much bigger problem than your physical ailment. It's your spiritual ailment. I can make you as healthy as you can be here and now, but when you die, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And so let me get you into eternity, but before I can get them there, I need to heal their felt needs. You ever thrown your back out? You ever had an infected tooth? If your tooth's infected, throbbing pain, grabbing your head, and every, I mean, just to open your eyes hurts. And I go, hey, can I tell you some good news? And the only good news you want to hear is, do you have something to pull this tooth out of my face and give me some sort of drug so I don't feel this pain anymore? That's what's going on. These people are in dire pain. Jesus is going to heal their felt needs so that he can get to their deeper spiritual needs. And so now he's going to walk down. After doing all of this, this miraculous work, verse 20, this is where we'll spend the rest of our time today. Let me read first the blessings, and then we'll get to the woes. But it says, verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. I believe this is the 12. The 12 men that he's going to look at and say, we're going to live different. And here's where the difference comes. He says to them, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets." This is countercultural living right here. You've got to imagine these fishermen, these tax collectors, these men are going, did he just say blessed are the poor? That ain't right. We'll unpack it in just a second. Let's get to the woes. Before we even get to the woes, because they, they mirror the blessings. Here's what woe means. At first, when I read it, I thought, oh, woe's like a warning, right? Like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down just a second. Let me eh, call attention to it's yes, but it has a much deeper meaning. This, this word woe literally means uh, be cautious, be careful, because pain or harm or displeasure is coming. It's that sort of woe. So let me give it to you as the best illustration I can. I was just with all my junior high friends this last week, so my, I'm, I'm 
regurgitating a lot of suppressed junior high memories that I shoved way down there. But here's one of them. I remember being in the lunch line at Sunrise Middle School. And for whatever reason, at the time, junior high kids in my grade had a hard time like communicating like normal human beings. And so I'm standing in the line, and the kid behind me, who was my friend, just flicks my ear. You, you aware of this? You're just standing there, and then bang, flicks the back of your ear. Ow, what? Stop. Bang, flicks it again. Stop it. Does it a third time. Here's the definition of woe. <laughs> I turn around and look this young man in the eye, and I go, hey, I dare you. I double dare you to do that one more time, because if you do that again, it's going down. See the difference? Flick my ear again, and the next thing you'll have is a spork in your ear, right? I mean, it's going to get nuts. There is a, a, a painful displeasure, caution. It's not just be careful. This is a, hey, slow down, because you are headed to a place of pain or, or, or discomfort. So be careful. Be careful, because the road you are on is leading to destruction. So here's our list of woes. We've got all these blessings. What are our woes? But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, woe to the full. Blessed are those who mourn, woe to those who laugh. Blessed are those who are persecuted on the sake of Jesus' name, but woe to everybody who is praised by mankind. I'm going to have them throw these up side by side on the screen for you here. They'll probably leave them there, hopefully the rest of the time, because this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Blessings and woes. Here's what I need you to understand. Jesus has gathered his group of 12 together. Guys, we're going to change the world, and it's going to start here. These are the values. This is the culture that we are going to have as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what the value of Team Jesus looks like. Blessed are the poor. Woe to the rich. What is this talking about? Just talking about we got we to sell everything, go, go live down in the square with nothing, and just, oh, I'm poor. No, no, no. Read Ecclesiastes. What does that tell us? God gave us everything to enjoy. We work hard. We toil hard. God gives us things so that we can then go enjoy them. That's a blessing from his hand. This isn't a, this isn't a knock on having money. I do think what this is saying, though, is, hey, blessed are you who have chosen not to pursue money as your sole purpose and goal in life. And woe to you who have. Woe to you who are rich who have chosen to get everything you can in this life and to accumulate as much as you can now to make this life so comfortable. What is the, what is the warning? Woe to you who are rich, for you have received all you're going to get. But blessed are you who are poor, who have made conscious choices to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to work hard for my family, but I'm going to chase the things of the Lord. I'm going to make that my purpose, to bring glory and honor to my Father in heaven far more so than to make a couple extra bucks, to make more money, to accumulate more wealth. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Again, I, thought, I shared this in the first service. I think of it this way. If Jesus were to walk in here right now, and he were to sit in this seat, and he were just to look at me, how would I, how would I hear these? 
Jesus were to say, oh, Kevin, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But woe to those who are rich. They've received their consolation. Would he be speaking more on the blessing side for me or the woeful side for me? What have I chosen to pursue? What have I made my purpose, my goal? What do I allow to control my mind and my, my thoughts? Can I say, God, I have pursued you with everything that I've got, and I've given up whatever this world has to offer for the sake of gaining more of you? Or would it be, whoa, 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 Kevin, there are some areas of your life where you are still trying to chase comfort and joy in the things that you get. I think this is what we got to just lay before the, the Father right now and go, God, would you search my heart and soul, and would you reveal to me, what is it for me? Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Let's go to the next one, though. Blessed are the hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who are full, for you shall be hungry. Hunger, fullness is so temporary, right? Have you ever eaten so much that you've said, man, I will never eat again? I've done that too many times. I remember taking my son, Logan, on his 18th birthday to Fogo de Chao. You been to Fogo de Chao? Fogo de Chao is all-you-can-eat steak, and not like Denny's steak, like really good steak. These guys just come out, and you got this little disc. If, it says, if it's still green, they just keep chopping meat off of these things, and you just keep going. So it was me and my 18-year-old son, and we hit it hard. I mean, meat sweats about an hour in. I mean, it was bad. And I remember walking out of that place going, I will never eat another piece of meat again in my life. Two hours later, my son Caden comes in with some beef jerky. I'm like, hey, give me a tug of that, right? It's just, it just, it doesn't last. Fullness doesn't last. It's temporary. Jesus tells his guys, guys, we're going to stop living for the temporary. We're going to start living for the eternal. It doesn't have to just be food when he says, blessed are those who are hungry. See, I read this and I think it's any time that we deny ourselves what we think we need now in our flesh for the sake of the bigger things of the kingdom. Blessed are you who, who deny maybe that felt desire. I need food. I need sex. I need companionship. I need this. I need that. Can we look at it all and go, God, I feel this. I have this desire. I want it in my flesh, but I'm going to say no because I know what your word has called me to, something greater. And I'm willing to say no to what I want in my flesh for the sake of what God's called me to, living for eternity, eternal purpose. He's looking at these guys going, guys, we're going to live different. I can tell you this, not one of these guys starved to death. Many a time you will read as we go through the rest of this book, where's Jesus? Eating with his guys. This wasn't a, a you know, three and a half year fast they had to start on. No, they do food. That's great. But it's not worth pursuing more than it's worth pursuing the things of the Lord. And so again, Jesus were to sit right here and look at me, he would ask the same question. Kevin, blessed are you if you're hungry. What are the areas of your life that you're willing to say, you know what, God, I want it really bad, but I'm going to say no because I want you more. But Kevin, woe to you in those areas where maybe you're chasing things and filling yourself. In order to get comfort now, now is not forever. Eternity's coming. Are we living with an eternal perspective? Blessed are you who are hungry. You shall be satisfied. How about the next one? Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. As opposed to, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. What is this talking about? Well, people are all over the map. Here, here's what I think it is. Blessed are you who mourn now. 
Does this mean we're supposed to live a somberful, uh, curmudgeon life? No, what's a fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy. We're supposed to live joyful lives. Christ came that we have an abundant life. There's joy to be had in this life. But if we spend our lives laughing and, and not seeing the world around us as it truly is, I think we've missed it. As we interact with the world around us, as we watch and see relationships that, that aren't in line with the spirit, as we, as we see people choose things that, uh, that God would say, man, please don't pick that, and they choose it anyway, and it's called sin, it's called evil in this world. If on some level, those of us that know Jesus, our hearts don't break for a hurting world, I think we've missed it. I think there's a danger in us just walking around going, <laughs> I know Jesus and you don't. You're going to get yours someday and hell's going to suck for you, but man, heaven's going to be great for me. If that's our spirit, woe to us. Woe to us. There should be a mourning. There should be a compassion. There should be a, 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 a tweak of our spirit when we see a hurting world around us so much so that we go, man, it's not okay, God. My heart breaks for them. We begin to pray and we begin to ask, God, would you use me to impact them any way that you can? Woe to those who laugh. Woe to those who laugh might also be this. Woe to you that have, have, have filled your entire lives with nothing but distractions. I wake up in the morning and I do all that I can to just distract my life all day long till I get to the next night's sleep and then we'll rinse and repeat tomorrow. No, we're in this world. This is a hurting world. This is not the world God created in the very beginning. Sin entered this world and twisted everything. It should be part of our hearts that mourn for it, that long for something greater. So again, Jesus is here. Kevin, do you have a heart that mourns? Do you weep? Do you see the world around you as it is, as, as hurting and broken? And does that move you in your, in your soul at all to do this next really hard thing? And that is this. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Now, if we don't get this qualifying statement, this verse is taken way out of context. This is not saying go be a self-righteous jerk and, and make everybody mad at you. This isn't saying go out there and tell everyone they're going to hell and you're better than them. And I, No. If they hate you, if they revile you, if they exclude you, let's make sure that they're doing those things on account of the Son of Man. Not your opinion, but on what the Word of God says. Stephen A. Smith, he's on ESPN and all, and everybody hates that guy, well, at least everyone in my house. Why? Because all he does is spout off his opinion as if it's fact. And it's not, it's just his opinion. But he's made a lot of money on it and he knows what he's doing. I'm gonna say something stupid, get all these people upset with me, and now they're gonna, I got more followers. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about offending people based on your opinion. But I do think what this is calling us to is are you willing to take a stand for what you know the word of God says even if it costs you relationship, even if it costs you financially, even if it costs you in your own home? Are you willing to make a stand for the sake of Jesus to be able to say, you know what? I know what the word of God says and so here's my line in the sand and this may be offensive to you but I can't compromise what God's word tells me to. Are we willing to make that stand? What are we willing to risk for the sake of the gospel? You hear me say all the time, go out and brag on Jesus. Go out and brag on Jesus. Jesus is an offensive word these days. I'm a pastor. 
So I'd interact with a lot of people, and inevitably, because we're dudes, I don't know, maybe girls do it too, but inevitably, every guy always asks, hey, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. All right. And everything changes after that. There's either a lot of apologies for whatever the first half of our conversation was, but there's usually some concession of like, oh, yeah, you know, I believe in a higher power, and like, I think God's out there, and you know, God's good, and, and everyone, no one really seems to have a hard time with God. Some do. Most people I do don't. Where they have a hard time is when you start saying, well, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with the guy that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one else is getting in except through me? What do you do with Jesus? All of a sudden, fists start to come up. Now there's a little aggression, a little agitation. It's no longer, well, you know, you believe in your higher power, and I'll believe in my higher power, and we'll all just coexist. No, 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 we don't coexist. You either believe in Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God for eternity, or you deny Jesus and you go to hell for all eternity. That's it. What do you do with Jesus? Guys, that's offensive to a lot. That may offend some of you in here. I don't mean to be offensive, but I'm also not going to not tell you the truth. The reality is this. There are no great cosmic scales in the sky where if we do enough good, they outweigh the bad and we're in. No. At the end of the day, we are all evil, wicked, sinful human beings. And we are all going to hell. Every one of us. I don't care if you're better than your neighbor or worse than your neighbor. You're both going to hell. Until God calls us out and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we go from eternity separated from God in hell into God's family and God's kingdom into eternity. That's truth. But that will offend some. That will make for an awkward Thanksgiving dinner in families. That will change relationships if we're willing to stand on truth. Again, don't go pick a fight. Don't go swing your Bible tomorrow and try and make everybody moral. No, but I'm telling you, if there's an opportunity to stand on Jesus and to pre- present Jesus and to brag on Jesus and put name to Jesus Christ, what God says here is if they hate you, if they exclude you, you guys, you won't get invited to every party. If they revile you, if they call you evil on account of the Son of Man, what does he say? Well, he says this in verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Again, eternal perspective. Not living for the here and now. Your reward might not be great here. It's going to cost you. But in eternity, it's going to matter. Again, that's why I keep coming back to it. 100 years from now, 100 years from right now, Jesus is either going to come back for us or he will have called you home sometime in the next 100 years. And the only thing that's going to matter is what did you do with Jesus? Are we living for Jesus Christ? Great is your reward in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But here's the woe. Woe to you. Be careful when everyone speaks well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. If you've never offended anybody for the sake of the gospel, then I would ask, what gospel are you presenting? Again, don't pick a fight. Don't be a jerk. But God's word seems to call his people to holiness. Holiness, to be different, to be set apart. He seems to be gathering these guys together and go, man, we're going to live for something different. We're going to look different. And different doesn't always mean everyone's going to love you. So if all people speak well of you, sometimes that's a great thing. There's seasons where all people will speak well of you. But if you, if you were to take a hard look and Jesus were to look at you and go, all right, everyone speaks well of you. 
Is there any area of your life where you have not made a stand for the gospel and you need to own that? And lay that at the feet of the cross today and say, God, give me courage, give me conviction to live life different, to put you on display in everything that I do. I think that's the charge that we get here. So Jesus calls these guys, says, look, we're going to live differently. And they do. He's going to continue to spell things out. He's going to get us in the next couple of weeks. We get the golden rule. We get all sorts of beautiful truths coming forward of how to live different. Because as disciples of Jesus, we should look different than the rest of the world. Starts with what are we pursuing? Are we chasing now or are we chasing eternity? These guys get it. Their lives are going to be forever changed and so are ours today. What are we living for? I want to pray for us in just a second for the Holy Spirit to continue to work on our hearts, but I'm going to tell you this. If there's anybody here today, anybody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, again, I've, I've said it a couple of times. When God calls we're going to sing in just a second. When he returns or he calls you home, what you've done matters very little in comparison to what you do with Jesus. So what do you do with Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? That's all that matters. If today you're sitting there and you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, come talk to me. Come talk to our Follow Jesus team in the back. Talk to somebody you know and just say, man, I, I am, I'm longing to know this Savior, Jesus Christ, the one that died for my sins. We would love to walk that road with you. But there's no more important decision than answering that question. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Let me pray for you and for the rest of us today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the courage of 12 men all those years ago that saw fit to preach your gospel message, to risk a lot for the sake of living different. And so, God, I pray that you would do the same in me. God, you know those things that I need to lay down at your feet. That it's very clear what the woe is in my life. And so, God, I pray you would give me courage and conviction in this moment, at this time, to lay that down. God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. If there's any bit of movement your Holy Spirit wants to have in our lives, God, that you would, you would give us courage to own it now. Not in shame, not in guilt, but God, in, in grateful conviction, as your word says, God, that we would lay that down, that we would live renewed lives because of your son, Jesus. So God, do that now this morning. God, for anybody here that you are calling into your kingdom that needs to give their life to your son, Jesus, God, that you are stirring in their hearts Pray you would divinely appoint them. God, let them meet with someone in this room. Have a conversation. And God, let the brother or sister they interact with, God, give them infinite wisdom and discernment to know how to lead and guide that conversation. But God, don't let any of us leave here today without doing business with you. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about to be sent out into a world that God calls us to love, have compassion for, to mourn over their brokenness, not in a, in a pity way, but in a way that would inspire us to share Jesus. We can't love a hurting world out there if we don't get really good at loving each other in here. And so we are a family together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ together. And so before today is over, I'm 8.57 over right now. You got at least four minutes. Give me four minutes. Be a family. Love one another. Service is not over till you love each other. So love each other on the way out. We got people up here that would love to pray with you, people in the back that would love to talk with you. Be a family together. Love each other on your way out. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys next weekend.